0: up front from John chapter 20, from the Gospel of John. It's our primary text today. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Beginning in verse 1. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple who Jesus loved and said to them, They've taken away the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid Him. I want to preach a message to you today titled, Details of Hope. Details of Hope. And before I do, I'm going to pray. Father, I thank You for Jesus. I thank You that He is our hope today. And I ask Holy Spirit, because of Jesus and because of His blood, that you would cause hope to penetrate into people's hearts and minds and situations. That they would begin to look to you and allow you to move and to work according to your good pleasure and the situations they face. Lord, I thank you that every day people are changed by your word. And today's no different because you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I thank you lives will be changed because of your word. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when I think about hope, I think about sports. As you can tell, I played sports most of my life because I have such a domineering, magnificent physical presence, and uh, that's obvious. But I wanted to let you know, I did play sports growing up, and you know, when I think about hope, I think about sports. For example, Any Cleveland Browns fans? No? (coughs) All right. Well, Cleveland Browns fans had such high hope after they recently drafted their new quarterback, Baker Mayfield, hopes that their years of losing and having a losing record and not making the playoffs would instantly turn around. However, it's not been the case. They're having another difficult year, probably will not make the playoffs again. But you know what? I found hope's a powerful thing because just this week I saw this picture of a Cleveland Browns fan who had a Baker Mayfield jersey. He taped the field part where it says now, maybe next year. See, hope's a powerful thing. They had hope that this was the year things were finally going to change, finally going to make the playoffs, doesn't look to be... But that fan, he's still hoping, maybe next year. You know, when I think about hope, I think not just about sports, but I think about hunting. It's big game hunting season here in Georgia. Deer, black bear, in fact, um, dove season and some waterfowl season just kicked off this weekend as well. But when I think about hunting, I think about men, predominantly men. There are some women, uh, who, but many men who won't sit down and watch a two-hour movie for their spouse. But they'll sit up in a tree hanging somewhere between the ground and the sky for 14 hours because they're filled with hope. Filled with hope that a deer will finally walk across that field, walk through those hardwoods. See, hope is a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. I've lived long enough and experienced enough To know the reality that there are seasons where finding hope requires looking harder. Maybe for some of you, you're in a season like that now. Maybe some of you, you've faced a season like that before. Maybe some of you will face a season like that in the future. But there are seasons, there are times where finding hope requires looking harder. And I see this in our primary text in this story. Notice there in John 20 and verse 1 when we read it, it said, On the first day of the week Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark. Notice that. And saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. If you can turn me up a little bit back there, I'd appreciate it. And we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple, the other disciple being John, John didn't refer to himself by name in his own gospel of John. He just says the other disciple, the other disciple whom Jesus has loved, but he's speaking of himself. And John, we know, was probably the youngest disciple. So he has that youthful zeal still. And he outruns Peter. But they run and the other disciple outran Peter and they came to the tomb first. Notice here what this text says. While it was still dark, saw that the stone had been taken away, then she ran and she said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. What do we see? We see in these moments and these seasons where finding hope requires looking harder, we can observe from this text and this story that if we don't slow down in such seasons, we are prone to run to the wrong conclusions. Had the Lord's body been stolen? No. Thank you, eight of you who read the Scripture. (laughs) You're going to disciple the rest of us. No! No! But in Mary's mind, the Lord's body had been stolen. Mary had already concluded that the Lord's body had been stolen, but she had concluded wrong. Why? Because notice it was while still dark, she made a conclusion. And she makes this conclusion that the Lord's body had been stolen, and because she makes this judgment and conclusion, it gets her into a frenzy. She's panicked. She's in a frenzy. What does she do? She does what everybody does when you're in a frenzy. She runs. She makes a directional choice. And she runs to the disciples and she tells Peter and John. Oh my goodness, they've taken the Lord's body. So here's what we see from this story. Just give it time until the sun rises. If Mary just would have gave it time, If Mary just would have waited till the sun had risen, she wouldn't have came to the wrong conclusion. But when we're in these difficult seasons, while it's still dark, we cannot allow, while it's still dark, for our mind to get settled on matters that we might not have clarity on. Give it time. Time for God's light to enlighten us. Time for God's light and God's word and God's truth to break in into the situation, the circumstance. Meaning this, we can observe early on from the text, don't make conclusions in the dark. Don't make lasting decisions while it's still dark. Give it time. Give God time. Give hope time. Give the sun. time. Time to rise again. We can observe this. Don't make directional decisions when in a hurry. She makes a directional decision. She runs away from the tomb. She runs away from what we're going to see are details of hope. She runs away from it in a frenzy. Because she didn't give it time. She made conclusions and judgments and final assessments while the situation was still dark. And it says in this directional decision that she runs frantic to the disciples and it says she came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and she says to them, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid laid him. Therefore, you know what the text says? Then Peter and John get up and they start running frantically with her. What do we conclude? Here's what we conclude. It is easy to pull others into our dark frenzy. It is more difficult to let others pull us into their hope. You can fill in the blank. It's easy to pull others or to be pulled, to pull others into our complaining. It's more difficult to let others pull us into praise. It's it's easy for others to pull us into their frantic wrong conclusions. It's more difficult to let others pull us into hope in God. We see it in this text. But as followers of Jesus, listen, we're people of hope. We're people of hope. And we are called (coughs) and empowered to resist the frenzy and propel others into hope. I want to tell you in this season of Thanksgiving and Christmas and holidays and activities, listen, it's very, very easy to let others pull you into frenzy. But we, as people of hope, are called and empowered to pull people into hope. And you know what I found? I found when I let God and King Jesus, the Holy Spirit, other brothers and sisters or details pull me into hope, I have found that when I am hopeful, there's three evidences that show up in my life. I want to talk about three evidences Of when we're pulled into being hopeful. The first is this. When we are hopeful, we praise. When we're hopeful, we praise. Meaning we don't wait for the situation to change before we praise. That when our heart is hopeful, we go ahead and praise. Why do we praise? Listen, because we don't praise God based on our circumstances and situations. We praise because we praise Him who's overcome the world. Now think about this. The fact that He's overcome the world means He's already overcome the very battles, temptations, struggles, bondages, issues you and I face today. And when I'm hopeful, I praise because I'm praising Him who's already overcame. In fact, this is what Jesus taught. The last moments that He was on earth to His disciples in John 16:33. He said, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. See, our praise doesn't flow out of ourself. Our praise flows out of understanding that Jesus has overcome the world. And we think, well, wait a minute. If Jesus has overcame all things... And Jesus is my Lord. Get back here in the name of the Lord. Jesus has overcome the world and He's my Lord and leader of my life and I'm joined to Him, then you know what? There's hope because He can empower me and help me overcome this. See, when we're hopeful, we praise we praise Him who's already overcome. And because we're hopeful that because He's overcome, He'll help me overcome, we praise. See, I've found when my stance is hopeful, when my posture is hopeful, I praise in advance. See, how often we come in and we're not hopeful because we come in focused on the circumstance and the situation and we're waiting for God to move. Well, I want to tell us today that when it comes to praise, God's already moved so that we can praise Him back. He's moved towards us through Jesus. God's already moved. He sent His only begotten Son. His Son has overcame all things. So if God never moves again, He's moved enough that when we come and gather, we have praise to give Him. Not only has He overcome the world, but listen, He's overcome death. Now, I know your situation's bad, friend, but you're still breathing, so it ain't that bad. And yet, Jesus, the one who's the Lord and leader of our life, He's overcame death, and we still have breath in our lungs. So what am I saying? There's hope for us. Because He not only overcame the world, He overcame death, and we're not dead, so there's even still much hope for us. My Lord has overcome death. My Lord has overcome all things. I think about how God spoke hope through the prophet Jeremiah in a time that looked hopeless and a time, you know, looked of such uh, judgment and impending judgment and a delay to promises of God and things like that. But in Jeremiah 17, 7-8, he says, Blessed is the man or woman who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. I want to tell you today that if you hope in the Lord, you're blessed. See, there's a lot of people that's not in this gathering today, that's not in a local church today, that's not listening to the Word of God today, and they're hopeless because they don't know there's actually a Lord they can hope in. They don't know the true Lord. They might have their idea of God or their idea of the Lord, but they don't know the true God because the true God is the God of all true hope. And because they're looking at their situation and they don't know the true God, they think their situation's hopeless and notice what Jeremiah says he says if you look around and it looks like the entire world's falling apart if you hope in the Lord you're blessed why? because you got a good understanding of who the Lord is that he's the one that's overcome all things he's the one that's even overcome death therefore there's hope for your situation today there's hope for your heart today there's hope for you and I today then he says this for he or she shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. But you see where it starts? Before you get to fruitfulness, and before you get to a place where there's no anxiety and drought, and where you get to the place where there's no fear and difficult circumstances and situations, guess where you start? You start by hoping in the Lord. It starts with hope hope. It starts with hoping even in drought. And some of you, your situation might be like a drought. Some of you, your career path might look like a drought. Some of you, relationally, it might look like a drought. But guess what you do when you're in a season of drought and it takes looking harder to find hope? You start with hope. Because you look to God who's the God of all true hope. And you look to this detail. What detail? Listen. Though my circumstance has changed, my Lord hasn't changed. Though my season has changed, my Lord hasn't changed. And my Lord is the one who's overcame all things, even death. Therefore, there's hope for me even in this drought. He's still an overcomer, and he's not changed. And because he's not changed, and I'm in relationship with him, he's able to empower me and help me to overcome this. Jeremiah continues on in verse 14. He says, heal me, O Lord. Heal me, O Lord, what? And I shall be healed. Save me, deliver me, and I shall be delivered and saved. Watch this. For you are my praise. Circumstances aren't the root cause of my praise. Whether I'm in drought or fruitfulness, that doesn't determine my praise. The prophet says that Jesus, you, oh God, are my praise. Then he says in verse 15, Indeed, they say to me, Where is the word of the Lord? Let it come now. As for me, I have not hurried away from being a shepherd who follows you, nor have I desired the woeful day. You know what came out of my lips. Praise, because you are my praise. It was right there before you. Do not be a terror to me. You are my hope in the day of doom. What's Jeremiah say in the midst of such circumstances around? He says, God, you are my praise. And you are my hope. You are my praise. You are my hope. That I can praise even in this because you are my praise, not the season I'm in. I can hope in this, not because my hope's found in the season I'm in, my hope's found in you. Oh God, you are my praise. You are my hope. And because you're my praise and because you're my hope, I'm hoping for a word from you. I'm hoping for a word to come, a word from God. We need to be a church that comes in here knowing that He's our hope. So we come with hopeful expectation, waiting for a word of God to our situation, a word of God to our heart, a word of God to what we're facing. We're hopeful for a word. You know, in the New Testament, it doesn't just say Jesus is our hope, though. It says He's our living hope. See, that's a key detail. It's a detail of hope. Because it's a detail reminding us that He's faced anything and everything that we can face. Temptation, attack from the enemy, circumstance, and yet He's overcame the world and He's overcame even death itself. Therefore, Jesus is our living hope. And because He's alive, there's hope for your situation today. That even when the tree looks dead because He's alive, hope's alive. That even when it seems dead and dry, there's still hope today because He's alive. Here's what I'm trying to say. He's got a plan even for this. I don't know what your this is this morning. I don't know what you're facing. But He's got a plan even for this. So we need to praise Him. Because He is our praise and He is our hope. So when we're hopeful, we pray. Secondly, when we are hopeful, we're prisoners. In Zechariah 9, verse 9, the prophet says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. What's he say? Be hopeful. And if you're hopeful, you'll do what? You'll praise. You'll rejoice greatly. You'll shout. You say, well, they had a lot to shout about. No, 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 listen to the context of Zechariah. People have been been responding to God's initial work. People have returned, a remnant has returned to Jerusalem. And they've started the work of rebuilding the city and moving forward in what God has. But now Zechariah's prophesying and 20 years have passed. In 20 years, the temple is still in ruin. In 20 years, the situation hasn't turned out the way they thought. In 20 years, the temple's still in ruin. And yet, what does Zechariah say? He says, rejoice, be hopeful. Why? Because he's your praise. Because He's alive, there's still hope. Because watch what He says, Behold, your King's coming. Oh, the Word's not came yet. The deliverance has not came yet. The breakthrough's not came yet. But He's coming. And He says, because He's coming, when you're hopeful, what do you do? You praise. You don't wait for the King to come. You don't wait for the King to move. You praise because He is your praise. And you're hopeful that He will move. He will come. He's just. Having salvation. He's lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold. Watch this, you prisoners of hope. Even today I declare that I will restore double to you. For I have bent Judah my bow, fitted the bow with Ephraim, and raised up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and made you like the sword of the mighty man. See, I get my word of why I'm a bow hunter right here in this text. Notice what he says. He says, you prisoners of hope. Prisoners of hope. How are they a prisoner of hope? Because though the temple looks to be in ruin and it looks like there's no movement forward, they're prisoners of hope because God's word to their situation is, is the king still coming? The king still has salvation for you. And then he says, I will set you prisoners free from the waterless pit. You know what a pit with water is? In, is called, a swimming pool. You don't need no hope in a swimming pool. It's good. It's when you're in a pit without water. How do you stay afloat? How do you swim? How do you swim when you feel like circumstances around you have imprisoned you? How do you stay a prisoner of hope? When you're in a waterless pit. You remember Jesus as your praise. And you remember the blood. Notice what he says. Verse 11, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. All you need is to start with hope that He's your praise, He's your deliverer, He's your breakthrough, He's your answer, and be hopeful in praise. And then even in the waterless pit, you become a prisoner of hope because of the blood. Why? Because of the blood. Because the blood Jesus shed established the new covenant. You know what the new covenant says? That every promise of God is yes and amen for your life. That every promise of God, every word of God over your life, it's not yes and no and yes and maybe. It's yes. So you might be in a waterless pit, but you're not really a prisoner to the pit. You're actually a prisoner of hope. Because the blood says God's got better days for you. The blood says God's got promises that are yes and amen. We're prisoners of hope hope truly does float in hopeless situations god's people to become prisoners of hope we hope in his blood we hope in jesus our king he said i'll set the prisoners free because of the blood he'll set you free because of the blood he'll strengthen you because of the blood He'll move because of the blood. He's not going to move because we're so great. He's going to move because of the blood. He's got a covenant with us. A covenant He established for us. Not a covenant He established with us. It's a covenant He established for us. So we become prisoners of hope. And because we're prisoners of hope, you know how we become moved to prisoners of hope? It's because prophecies of hope. See, the prophecy is that blood's coming. And because of the blood, I'll set you free. Well, the blood's been provided. And the blood prophesies, Hebrew says, better things over your life. Better things than your current pain. Better things than your waterless pit. Better things than your past. Better things than your current prison of pain. Because of the blood, I'm also a prisoner of hope that things will change. God will move through Jesus. Things will change. God will change me. I'm a prisoner of hope because of prophecies of hope. Notice this said the king's coming. The king's coming. I think of Paul and Silas. Did you know Paul and Silas? They're prisoners of hope. Because everywhere they went, it's because they were a prisoner of hope that Jesus was the hope every person was looking for. And they took his name and his gospel to places yet that hadn't heard the gospel. And they come into one of these places and they meet this slave girl who's possessed by a devil, a spirit of divination. Meaning she used demonic wisdom to give false prophecies and to manipulate situations and things like that. And Paul gets annoyed and he casts the demon out of this girl. The Bible says then that the owners of the slave girl get angry because it says their hope of profit is lost. Watch this. They throw Paul and Silas into prison. So they're really in prison as a prisoner of hope. It's just these people's hope was lost. So they try to imprison Paul and Silas. But what they don't understand is though outwardly, it looked like they had imprisoned Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas had been in prison by hope long before that prison cell. Oh, they've been prison. You know why? Because prophecies of hope. When Jesus came to Paul... At his conversion, he said, listen, I'm sending you to the nations and you'll testify before kings and leaders for me. So here he is in an outward circumstance in a natural prison that other people think they've put him in. But Paul, the whole time, has actually already been a prisoner. He's a prisoner of hope because God has spoken over his life. You're gonna testify before kings and stuff. So what do you do when you're in an outward situation that man's created and you don't feel like you have the ability to get out of or change? You remember you're a prisoner of hope because God has prophesied some things over your life, that God's got promises for you in your future. And right there Paul and Silas remembered. no this ain't the end of the story this isn't the end of it I'm not going to be stuck in this outward thing of prison and what do you do when you're hopeful? you praise and so they praise right there in the natural prison because they were actually prisoners of hope because of prophecies of hope over their life and God sent an earthquake and delivered them see prophecies of hope When God says things over our life and to our life, we become a prisoner of hope because of God's prophecy. See, Paul in 1 Corinthians 14.3, when he talks about New Testament prophecy, he says there's three major functions of New Testament prophecy. He says they're to help up, build up, and stir up one another. They're to help up, build up, and stir up. They're to help us and build us up and stir us up to be prisoners of hope in God. But you know what I've learned? When it comes to prophecy, the more specific the prophecy is, meaning the more details that are given in the prophecy, the more hope comes to that person who it's given to. See, if I just prophesied and and based on my own faith you can do that, and and encouraged you all and just said, God's going to bless you in, in, in 2020 despite your past. Well, that might encourage you some. But if I started giving specific details regarding your past that only you and God know, or you know that I don't know, so if I said them, you would be clear that it's only because God has given me that understanding. And then I said, despite those things of your past, God's going to do this, this, and this, this year for you? Listen, the more details, the more hope. Because, listen, we think that it's always the devil who gets in the details, and sometimes he does. But you got to understand, it's because he always tries to pervert mainly what he's seen in God. And we serve a God that in the details, there's hope. In the details, there's hope. See, details matter because such details become details of hope. So listen, you remember Isaiah said, they say to me, where's the word of the Lord? What do you do when people around you, when you're a prisoner of hope, and you said, listen, my circumstance is not always going to be like this. My career path not always going to be like this. My relationships aren't always going to be like this. My heart's not always going to be like this. I'm not going to always live like this. What do you do when you're a prisoner of hope, but people around you are saying, well, where's God's word and promise about that? And you're waiting for God to speak, and He's not speaking. What do you do? Listen. You look to the details of hope. We see it in our text. Go to John 20 and verse 5. John 20 and verse 5, it picks up our main text. It says, And he, stooping down and looking in, this is John, by the way, saw the linen cloths lying there. Yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there. Wow. And the handkerchief that had been around Jesus' head, It wasn't lying with the linen cloths, but it was folded together in a place by itself. Now here it is. Mary, while it was still dark, came to a wrong judgment and conclusion. It got her in a frenzy. She ran to the disciples, pulled Peter and John into her frenzy. They've taken the Lord's body. We don't know where He's at. Peter and John has now ran in a frenzy to the tomb, and yet in this season where hope and having hope is more difficult, they start looking into the matter a little longer. They start looking into the matter a little harder. And as they look in to what looks to be a situation that's so empty, so filled with drought, so hopeless, they see that the grave clothes of the Lord and even the handkerchief that was wrapped around His head is still in the tomb, And the handkerchief has been folded. Now what is going on here? Listen, listen, listen details of hope. You don't steal a body that's actually under the protection of Rome. Remember they put soldiers there, said guard the tomb. You don't steal a body that's under the protection of Rome and take a time out to take the clothes off the dead person and fold them up. Let me put it this way. When's the last time you news watchers, with all the good stories on the news, when's the last time you saw a story of a thief going in a home and as he's stealing all that he wants to steal, he does the laundry in the house where he's stealing and then takes time to fold the clothes? No, no, see, listen, it's a detail of hope. It's a detail of hope. Now here's the point, listen. Those details of hope were there the whole time. They were there from the very beginning of the text and the story. But Mary didn't give the situation time and she made a judgment and a conclusion before the sun came up and she wrongly concluded that they had stolen the Lord's body. But if she would have just waited until the sun came up, and would just have waited until she arrived at that conclusion, and before she made a directional decision, she would have saw the whole time there were some details there that were details of hope God left for her. And I want to tell some of you right now, God's got details of hope all around you. But you got to learn from this text and you've got to slow down and not make final judgments and conclusions. Give God time. Give the Holy Spirit time. Give God's Word time to shine light on the situation before you make directional decisions or wrong conclusions. See, the tomb is empty. But but John, did you see? Peter, did you see? Mary, did you, the, the tomb's empty but did you see the clothes were folded? I know the situation seems empty, but, but did you see the detail? The detail, a major important detail, that Jesus is still seated at the right hand of the Father. I I, I know it looks empty. I know it seems like a waterless pit. I, I know it seems hopeless. But, but did you see the detail that Jesus is still Lord? And the one who overcame all things and even overcame death, he's your Lord and he's able to help you, empower you. He's able to move to overcome this as well. Don't become a prisoner to frenzy and darkness. Give it time and stay a prisoner of hope. I know blank has happened. Fill in the blank. Happened at your job, happened in your marriage, happened in this relationship, happened with your children. I know this has happened to you. I know fill in the blank has happened to you, but did you see? Did you see that Jesus is still seated at the right hand of the Father? That he's still Lord over all? See, that's the most important detail of hope. When I think about details of hope, I think about some amazing survival stories. In fact, one happened just last year when an earthquake hit Indonesia in August. You Remember, it destroyed thousands of buildings. Major earthquake. Catastrophe. And it destroyed a building where a a man named Narto and his brother-in-law were at. And he found himself in a collapsed building under a fallen column, but he wasn't pinned. He was able to move, but he couldn't get out of the collapsed building. What do you do when the world around you, and the building you're in seems collapsed, and yet you're still alive, still have breath? You look for a detail of hope. And as he was there trapped, he noticed that the floor, the foundation, had also crumbled, just like the building part above him has crumbled. And when he looked through the crumbled foundation, he found an important detail that became a detail of hope. He found that sand was there. And that detail of hope said, listen, I can't climb my way out of the rubble. I can't push my way through the rubble. But I can dig through sand. And he took remnants and chunks of debris And he dug through that sand under that building's floor for 12 hours as he drug his brother-in-law until they came to safety. Now you might not think a sandy floor is an important detail, but let me tell you, in a season when it's harder to find hope, there are details of hope that matter. And Some of you have been felt trapped in... Generational cycles, generational struggles and bondages and things that's held you and your family back. But I want to tell you there's details of hope. That you're still alive. And the blood speaks better things over you than your past and your family's past. I think about Peter. You remember when he, after this story, there still wasn't enough hope for him? He didn't allow these details of hope to move him to hope. And so what do you do when you feel like your future is not going to turn out the way you thought? And the one you put all your hope on, Jesus, is now not only crucified and dead, but he's missing and gone. Well, i tell you what you do. You do the same thing we're all vulnerable to do. When you feel unstable about your future, we're tempted to go back to the past that we know. So you know what Peter did? He said, I'm going fishing. And the disciples said, you know what, I'm going fishing with you. Why did Peter say, I'm going fishing? Because before he met Jesus, he was a fisherman. And the Bible says that they went fishing and they told all night, watch this, and they did not even catch a minnow. Now that's a detail. Because how many of you ever tried to go back because you felt like your future wasn't going to turn out the way that you thought it was going to turn out and you were tempted to go back to old ways? old people, old thoughts, old habits, and you do it and you toil in it and yet it don't bring the joy or fulfillment you remember that you thought you used to get out of it. That's the key detail. It's a key detail just like Peter going fishing and catching no fish because it's God's saying, uh-uh, the story's not ended yet. It's a detail of hope that you're not going to go back to the life that you had, that God still got more for your future. And you might not see how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen because the Bible says when the sun came up, Jesus was on the seashore. And then Jesus said, throw your net on the other side, and they caught so many fish. Here's the point. Jesus is the light of the world, and He wants to become that morning sun rising in our heart, that hope rising in our heart again. That I don't know what all He has for me in the future and it's not looking like the way I thought, but I sure ain't going back to fishing. I sure ain't going back to my past because I'll fail in that. I'll not find joy in that. There's hope in the detail there. I think of another story where details matter. This one happened in California on a remote beach, a remote area. A girl named Angela Hernandez, she was driving. And after swerving to avoid an animal, she accidentally drove over a cliff, crashing 200 feet below on this remote beach that people didn't normally visit. There happened to be a couple who was camping not too far from there. And they got up one day and they were looking for a remote, good fishing spot. So they begin to walk down the beach to this remote area and they see this car. A car that one, shouldn't be on the beach, secondly it's a remote beach, no car should be there. And they said, you know what, that's an important detail. And they went over and checked it out and sure enough they found that Angela, though it had been a week and though she was stranded in the car, was still alive. I think about what might have went through Angela's mind where she felt imprisoned in that car in the circumstance that she didn't have the ability to go out but I wonder if she became a prisoner of hope in a circumstance that seemed to be trying to imprison her outwardly because here's a detail of hope I wonder if she said you know what I'm in a remote area a remote beach where cars ain't gonna be shouldn't be but I'm in a car And all it takes is one person to realize there's a car somewhere that it shouldn't be. And that one detail, that though I'm going through a difficult season, I'm facing a difficult circumstance, there's still a hopeful detail. And the detail is, I'm in a broken, messed up car on a remote beach, and if someone sees it, I'm going to stand out. Details of hope. See, when we're hopeful, we praise. When we're hopeful, we're prisoners. And lastly, number three, when we are hopeful, we persist. We persist. In John 20, verse 11, as the band comes, notice our text. It continues on in verse 11. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid Him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Now listen, Mary has made some wrong conclusions and some decisions and beliefs, but listen, she's still weeping And even yet, in her weeping, she's persisting to try to figure out what's happened to the Lord's body. I can see her. I can see this tenacious woman because she's thinking they don't understand. I have been working so hard to prepare these burial spices. Bless God, I'm going to find his body if it takes the rest of my life because these spices ain't going to go to waste. I can think about some women about how they're going to treat us out here. When they say, by God, I've been up all night eating that soup and and, and we ain't leaving here until we eat it all. <laughs> you come, I've already had two bowls. I don't care. I'm not taking any with it. Get another bowl. I can just imagine here in a minute. Here's Mary. She don't understand what's going on. She's weeping. It's dark. But listen, she's persisting and trying to understand. So she starts looking into the matter more. She goes back to the tomb where originally she didn't give it time now the sun's up so she starts taking a little more time to look around and as she begins to look into the tomb that before she didn't look into she starts noticing okay and as she keeps looking two angels appear to her and they ask her woman why are you weeping she's still in the wrong judgment she's still in the wrong conclusion she's still in the frenzy But she's still trying to look hard into the situation. And she says, they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they have laid Him. Now when she had said this, she turned around. When she turned around, Jesus is behind her. I love that picture. I love that she had to turn around because the picture turning around is the biblical picture of repentance. Peter had to stop thinking that he had to go back to his old way of life, settling for the mundane, no experience of God's power and purpose for his life, just going through the ritual of life. He thought that he had to settle, but when he turned around, Jesus was already on the shore. Mary's thinking she's got to settle. She's got to weep and spend the rest of her time figuring out where the body is. She never wanted to be an investigator. She just liked making perfumes and and spices for Barry. Now she feels like, i got to be an investigator. I didn't want to be an investigator, God. But when she finally turned around, Jesus was there. Listen, when she stopped holding on to those wrong conclusions, those wrong judgments that was causing her to weep, And she turned around, the picture of repentance, a change of mind. Jesus was there. Oh, listen. And he's the ultimate detail of hope. And that's why the New Testament calls him the living hope. I'm going to tell you, if you'll turn around, your situation can turn around because Jesus is your living hope and he's always there waiting for you, waiting for me, waiting for us. With promises that are yes and amen, with his blood that's sure and steadfast, with his blood that says he's got better things for us that there's newness of life because when we're hopeful, we persist. Talk about persistence. A girl named Kay Longstaff, she ended up in the Adriatic Sea. Some mystery surrounded. They're not sure if she fell or jumped or what, but she was on the Norwegian Star Cruise ship. She found herself off the ship and in the sea. Where now she's forced. Will hope keep keep her afloat? She give up and just let go and drown. She began to tread water for 10 hours. Then it became nighttime and she had to tread water and swim through the darkness through the night. But after 10 hours overnight, she was rescued by the Croatian Coast Guard and she had floated almost a mile from where she went in. I don't know who feels like you floated where you didn't think you would end up, where life and circumstances has floated you to places or events or things that you didn't think you would be at. But I'm telling you, you got to remember there's hope in the detail. And the detail is this. She was on the cruise ship, and the cruise ship has a list of everybody on it. And there came a point where people realized she was missing. And it was just that one detail. Wait a minute, where she's going? Has anybody seen Kay? And they said, no, we've not seen Kay. Well, something's wrong. That one detail, I imagine, in her mind, kept her afloat and all it takes is one detail Jesus is still seated seated at the right hand of the father and we might be in a frenzy and we might be running but he is seated he's at rest in victory with all power and all dominion and he's at peace because he knows I have the ability to turn it around I have the ability to overcome I have the ability to move I am your living hope I am your promise that's yes and amen he's our living hope are hopeful we persist sometimes this means we have to persist in forgiving I remember the primary season where bitterness and unforgiveness held on to me the longest it held on me the longest because of a wrong mentality and the mentality was is that what others did to me or what I brought about myself was bigger than my God See, when you think that what people have done to you or what you've brought upon yourself is bigger than your God, then it's hard to forgive. Because you feel like that that one act, that one decision has forever changed any sense of a hopeful future. But when... The Lord finally gave me some details of hope that moved me to hope. And I realized, wait a minute, not even me or people around me is bigger than God. And God has spoken some prophecies over my life. God has given me some details of hope. I'm still alive. Jesus is still Lord. The sun is still rising. His mercies are new each day. Though maybe they meant it for evil, God can use it for my good. When you believe God's bigger than others in circumstances, it's easy to forgive say God's bigger than it. You are know, just use it as an ingredient, as a sub-point, and the beautiful story He's writing for me of redemption. You know what else? When we're hopeful, we persist, persist in purification. So you don't understand, I've tried to trust Jesus as my sufficiency to be victorious in this area of my life. And I've fallen time and time again Well, the righteous fall seven times and get up. We keep falling until the process comes to completion of learning how to trust and the sufficiency and the ability of Jesus in this area. And when we're hopeful, we persist in purification. We say, I've not yet seen the consistent victory, but Jesus is my praise. He's my hope for consistent victory. Therefore, I'm going to persist. I'm going to persist in pursuing sanctification. I'm going to persist in pursuing purification. I'm going to persist in allowing the Lord to conform me to the image of Jesus Christ. When we're hopeful, we also persist in prayer. I want to tell some people it's okay to keep praying about it because when you're hopeful, you can persist in prayer. It's like the the widow with the unjust judge. She didn't know how it was going to turn out, but she had a hope that it might turn out, that God just might turn it around. So what did she do? When she was hopeful, she persisted in prayer. She kept praying. She kept praying. She kept praying. And then God in due time did what only God could do, change the heart of that judge. I want to tell you it's okay to persist in prayer about it. You don't know how it's going to turn out because you can't change it, but you have Jesus who is your living hope. So it's okay to keep praying about it. What am I saying? I'm saying let the details of hope move you into being hopeful. You know the difference between a, a great and good quarterback, an NFL, and one that's average or below average. They learn to recognize the details. That in a moment a frenzy and the clock's ticking, they gotta snap the ball, they learn to recognize is it man-to-man coverage? Where's the linebackers? Is it zone? And quickly they allow those details to empower them. You know the difference between a, a great and a good hunter and an average and below? Is they learn to see the details, they study pictures. They think about the wind. They think about sin. They think about positioning of stand and blinds. They think about patterns of deer. They think about the details. Listen, I know in seasons like this, it's harder to find hope. That's why God's got this story in Scripture that hopes in the details. It's not over, therefore it's not over. You're still alive, therefore it's not over. The sun's come up again, Jesus is still Lord. He's still seated at the right hand of God. There are hope in the details. And allow God to use the details to move you to hope because when we're hopeful, we'll praise in advance. When we're hopeful, we're prisoners of hope. We're not prisoners to our circumstance, even though it looks like we're actually a prisoner of hope. Just like Joseph was a prisoner to the Word of God and the promise of God and the dream that God gave him. He looked to be in a waterless pit. He looked to be in prison by outward circumstances. But he really was a prisoner of hope the hope and the dream that God had for him. And when we're hopeful, we persist. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.